Hello, welcome to North Valley Church's Sermon Podcast. We are in a series titled, Serve God Faithfully. If you would like more information about our podcasts or North Valley Church, you can reach us on our website, nvcmd.org. Good morning, North Valley. That music made me like think of dancing a jig, except I can't dance a jig, so I decided I would just stand there and wait. So, All right, so I have a quick public service announcement. I owe you all an apology. That apology is the internet at my house was not working last night. So when I tried to forward the outline to Tori to put in the bulletins and tried to forward the slides to Ben James to put on the board for you, the files wouldn't attach. So if anybody wants the outline, let me know after the service, give me your email, and I will email it to you. I was, however, able to drive to CVS, buy a flash drive, and get the slides put on the flash drive to come in for Curtis and Ben to get on the screen for you today. So we do have those. So thank you to those gentlemen for their hard work at the last minute. Obviously, I am not Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan is on a well-needed weekend break with his wife to celebrate Millie's birthday. If you didn't know it was Millie's birthday, make sure you tell her happy birthday next week. And I'm going to do my best to fill in for him and move forward with our series, Serve God Faithfully. However, I have a very important question that I need to ask by starting out. I'm going to see how many of the husbands and the men out there I can get in trouble This past Tuesday was Valentine's Day. I want to see a raise of hands, man. How many of you remembered it was Valentine's Day and got the special person in your life a gift? All right. I saw a lot of hands that didn't go up. All right, ladies. How did your husbands do? Did they come through for you? Okay. I... Heard more applause that never mind. Anyway, you can ask Patty if I came through or not. She's got some new clothes and a new smartwatch on her wrist. Did anybody get a vacuum, a microwave, you know, something that's really for the husband, but they give it to the wife so that they can take advantage of it? Okay. All right. It looks like most of us are in good shape. As you may have guessed by now, my line of questioning is leading us to talking about gifts. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're in the midst of a series on serving God faithfully, and last week we talked about faithfulness. And today, we're going to discuss the idea that God specifically and uniquely equips each and every one of us to serve in His church. So let's start out by looking at the first three verses of our focal passage today. Our focal passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 14. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. 
There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Spiritual gifts, unity and diversity. That's what we're going to call the first part of this. I think it's important to mention here that the Greek translation literally means pertaining to the Spirit and refers to that which has spiritual qualities or characteristics or is under some form of spiritual control. I think that's important to remember. We've all been given spiritual gifts. Some of us use them. Some of us don't. Some of us may not know what our spiritual gift is, and that's a whole separate conversation. But it's important to remember that all of these gifts are under spiritual control. They come directly from the Holy Spirit, as we're going to learn. So what you need to realize is that we have all been equipped with a spiritual gift. Some of us may be equipped with more than one. And you need to remember that these spiritual gifts are divine enablements for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers and that they are to be completely under the Holy Spirit's control and are to be used for the building up of the church to Christ's glory. So to sum up that very important concept, we've all been given spiritual gifts. The gifts are controlled by the Holy Spirit himself, and they're to be used for the edification of the church. Verse 4 tells us that there are a variety of gifts. That's diversity. The variety of giftedness are not natural skills, talents, or abilities, such as possessed by both believers and unbelievers alike. Nia has a gift to play the keyboard and lead us in worship. I don't have that gift. Some of you in here have the gift of playing sports. Some of you may have the gift of repairing things. Some of you have the gift of motherhood. Those aren't the kind of gifts we're talking about today. These gifts are sovereignly and supernaturally bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit. They're bestowed on all believers, enabling them to spiritually edify one another and therefore honor the Lord. The varieties of gifts referred to in this passage generally will fall into one of two subcategories. Subcategory one is speaking or verbal gifts, and subcategory two is serving. We're going to look a little more closely at the specific gifts in the next part of the sermon, But I will go ahead and list many of them here as part of the discussion so that you can see not only the diversity of them, but how they are also united by them all coming from the Holy Spirit. The first category is the speaking or verbal category. It consists of prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation. The second category is serving. It's mainly a nonverbal category. It consists of leadership helps, giving, mercy, faith, and discernment. Regardless of what category your personal gifts fall under, they are all permanent gifts and they will operate throughout the age of the church. Their purpose is to edify the church and glorify God. And they are best seen as a representation of giftedness that the Holy Spirit draws from, that the Holy Spirit draws from to give each 
believer. Some believers may be gifted categorically similar gifts to others, but every gift is personally unique as the Spirit suits each grace gift to the individual. I'm going to go over that point one more time. When I was doing my research and reading through that, it took me reading it several times for the point to really hit home. So once again, some believers may be gifted categorically similar to other believers, but their gifts are personally unique as the Spirit suits each grace gift to the individual. Did you get it? Basically, some of us have similar gifts, but the way they are manifested in us can be as unique as we are, and how we use that gift can be unique as well. The Lord gives believers unique ministry arenas for which to fulfill their giftedness, and he provides varieties of power to energize and accomplish them. We're going to move on to the next uh, part of the scripture. This is under the manifestation of the Spirit. Here we will discuss the specific gifts a little more closely, but I want you to remember something. We are not focusing today as much on the gifts themselves but on the idea that we all have gifts, they were selected to each of us specifically by the Holy Spirit, and we are to use them for the building up of his church. Starting in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Go ahead to the next slide, Curtis. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So let's go through these four verses real quick. Verse 7 tells us that no matter what the gift, what the ministry, or what the effect, all spiritual gifts are from the Holy Spirit. They make him known, they make him understood, and they make him evident not only in the church, but also in the world by spiritually profiting all who receive their ministry. It's an important concept. Many of us who are here today, we're used to coming to church. We're used to seeing the manifestation of the Spirit here in the four walls of the building. We may even use our spiritual gifts within the four walls of this building. But we're also supposed to take it to the world. We're not supposed to just restrict using our gifts on Sunday morning or maybe on Wednesday night or maybe we're going to lead a Bible study on Tuesday nights downstairs. Your spiritual gifts go with you when you leave this building. In verses 8 through 10, we get a list of some of the gifts. Beginning in verse 8, the word indicates a speaking gift, and in the New Testament, wisdom is most often used as the ability to understand God's word and his will, and then to skillfully apply that understanding to life. The word of knowledge is the ability to understand and speak God's truth with insight 
into the mysteries of his word that cannot be known apart from God's revelation. Knowledge concentrates on grasping the meaning of the truth, while wisdom emphasizes the practical convention and conduct that applies that knowledge. Two separate pieces, I'll repeat it one more time. Knowledge concentrates on grasping the meaning of the truth, while wisdom emphasizes the practical convention and conduct that applies that knowledge. Next, let's look a little bit closer at faith as a gift. The gift of faith is distinct from the saving faith or the persevering faith that all believers possess. This gift is exercised in persistent prayer and endurance and intercession, along with a strong trust in God in the midst of difficult circumstances. Has anybody here been in difficult circumstances? Faith is relying on God to get you through that circumstance. Next, I'm going to talk about a group of gifts um, that were prevalent during the apostolic age, the time the apostles walked the face of the earth. Healing, miracles, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues were temporary sign gifts limited to the apostles' age and have therefore ceased. Their purpose was to authenticate the apostles and the apostles' message as the true word of God until God's written word was completed and became self-authenticating. Healing was a temporary sign used only by Christ, the apostles, a few associates of the apostles, and the 70. The, the ability to heal was identified as a gift belonging to the apostles, and although Christians today do not have the gifts of healing, God certainly answers and hears our prayers and the prayers of his faithful children. Miracles were a temporary sign gift that was used for the working of divine acts contrary to nature so that there was no explanation for that action except that it was by the power of God. And they were also used to authenticate Christ and the apostles. An interesting note, Christ walked the face of the earth for 33 years. Most people consider the last three years he was on earth as his ministry. Jesus only performed miracles during those final three years. Jesus performed miracles to affirm that God was working through him so that people would believe in him as the Lord and Savior. Prophecy. Prophecy means simply speaking forth or proclaiming publicly, to which the connotation of prediction was added sometime during the Middle Ages. Since the completion of the scripture, prophecy has not been a means of new revelation, but it is limited to proclaiming what has already been revealed in the scripture. Finishing up with some of these, the gifts that were listed, distinguishing of spirits refers to the fact that Satan is the great deceiver and his demons are known to counterfeit God's message and work. Some of those hard times we mentioned a little while ago were probably due to Satan and his deceivers. Satan can use anything to deceive us. 
Christians who have the gift of discernment have the God-given ability to recognize lying spirits and to identify deceptive and erroneous doctrine. In discussing both the speaking and interpretation of tongues, remember these are considered temporary sign gifts used for the authentication of the truth and those who preached it during the apostolic age. We're going to move on to verses 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm calling this unity and diversity in one body. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ." For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. In the verses we've already looked at, verses 4 through 10, Paul spent those verses stressing the diversity of spiritual gifts. As we move to verse 11, he stresses their singular source, the Holy Spirit. In just verses 4 through 11, this is the fifth time that Paul mentions the source of our spiritual gifts as the Holy Spirit. Paul is emphasizing that gifts are not something to seek, but to be received from the Spirit as he wills it. It is he, the Holy Spirit, alone who works or energizes all of the gifts he chooses. Let's move forward to verse 12. This is where Paul introduces the analogy of the human body as the unity of the church of Christ. We're not going to look at all the remaining 16 verses, but Paul used the analogy of the human body 18 times over the next 16 verses. Think he's really trying to drive that point home? Verse 13 further emphasizes the analogy using the phrase, we are baptized into one body. The church, which is the spiritual body of Christ, is formed as believers are immersed by Christ with the Holy Spirit. Christ is the baptizer who immerses each of us with the Spirit into unity with all the other believers. Paul's point is not to emphasize the physical act of being baptized with water, but to stress the unity of believers, the idea that all believers have been Spirit-baptized and thus are all in one body. I want to share with you a story from a gentleman named Paul Brand. Paul Brand is known as a brilliant hand surgeon. He served as the chief of the rehabilitative branch of the United States Public Health Service Hospital in Louisiana, and Mr. Brand was also a Christian. I love his thoughts on this topic of using the body as an, uh, as an analogy. Brand stated that sometimes he thinks of the human body as a community. And then of the individual cells, such as the white cell. The cell is the basic unit of an organism. The cell can live for itself, or it can help form and sustain the larger organism as a whole. 
Brand recalled Paul's use of, an al- of the analogy where he compares the church of Christ to the human body. Brand augmented Paul's analogy and explains it this way. The body is one unit, though it is made up of many cells. And though all of its cells are many, they form one body. If the white blood cell should say, because I am not a brain cell, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the muscle cell should say to the optic nerve cell, because I am not an optic nerve, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an optic nerve cell, where would the ability to walk come from? If the whole body were an auditory nerve, where would the sense of sight come from? But in fact, God has arranged the cells in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Brand closed his adaptation of Paul's analogy by saying that the analogy conveys a more precise meaning to him because though a hand or a foot or an ear could not have a life separate from the body, a cell does have that potential. A cell can be part of the body as a loyalist, helping the body to function as a whole, or the cell can cling to its own life. Some cells do choose to live in the body, sharing its benefits while maintaining complete independence. You know what those cells are? Cancer, parasites. Take a moment, think of yourself. If you've accepted God into your heart and you're a believer and you're part of the body, you have a spiritual gift. Are you using your gift for the body as Christ, for the body of Christ as the Holy Spirit intended? Or are you living independently like the parasite or the cancerous cell as a member of that body? In verse 14, Paul used the illustration of how every part of the human body is essential to the functioning of that body. Paul showed that unity is an indispensable need of the church, but divinely provided diversity within that unity is also necessary. While researching for this sermon, I came across an opinion piece by a a gentleman named Sam Imadi, and he titled it, Ministry Belongs to the Members. I think it's fair for you to know that Mr. Imadi is a pastor and member of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He also is the senior editor at Nine Marks and the author of the book, What Should I Do Now That I Am a Christian? I took his words, I adapted them a little for my own, and I'm presenting it to you as a challenge to our church. Christians today have developed a rather unhelpful way of speaking about vocational gospel work. We use idioms like we're going into the ministry to describe full-time pastoral employment 
as if ministry were reserved for only pastors or other full-time gospel workers. Guess what? It's not. Ministry is for every believer. The church is a family. Embrace your identity as a brother or sister in that family. If you see a need, fill it. In the Old Testament, ministry in the temple was reserved for the priests. Further, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit empowered extraordinary individuals such as kings and prophets to equip them for certain commissions. We find record of that in Exodus 31, Exodus 35, 1 Samuel 16, Ezekiel 2. But now that the same Spirit has come on all of God's people, indwelling them and gifting them to serve the body of Christ, the fact that we all minister says something about who we are. Our ability to minister to one another should be rooted in our identity, an identity given to each one of us by the Holy Spirit. Yes, pastors are given specific duties. Pastors are commissioned to carry out a ministry distinct from church members. But by and large, the epistles focus on the ministry occurring among church members to one another. One ministry serves the other. Pastors are the supply line. Church members are the front line. Even within Ephesians 4, Paul's often repeated body metaphor underscores this point. Pastors equip the members, and the members are the ones building up the body of Christ. Equipped by the word, we echo that same word to one another. We should speak the truth in love so that we grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, Ephesians 4.15. Thus, each part of the body must do its job so that the body builds itself up in love, Ephesians 4.16. Paul emphasizes the centrality of the congregation to care for and minister to one another. Serving, teaching, counseling. This description accords with what we see elsewhere in the, New, in the New Testament. The apostles don't tell pastors how to establish programs or instruct them in how to franchise problems out to the right people. What did the apostles do? They encouraged the church members to do the ministry. Consider, for instance, the well-known one another passages we come across in the Bible. Galatians 5.13, service doesn't belong exclusively to deacons. Members also are to serve one another. Pastors aren't the only ones who teach. Members must also instruct one another, Romans 5.14. The church worship music leader isn't the only one blessing others with musical praise. Members should also sing to one another, Colossians 3. Certified counselors aren't the only ones who help us through life's problems. Members also encourage one another in 1 Thessalonians. Even during our times of corporate gatherings, a time that many Christians view as focused exclusively on the leadership's ministry, the author of Hebrews underscores the role members play in serving and encouraging one another during the corporate gathering. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. God gave us leaders to equip church members, not to supplant them. Ministry belongs to the members. So ask me what that looks like. It looks like a man laboring to help his wife spiritually thrive even as he overlooks her unfair criticism. It looks like a wife choosing to honor her husband even when given the opportunity to speak disrespectfully about him. It looks like inviting members to a meal after church, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, or sending an email to a discouraged brother or sister. None of these actions looks glamorous, but for Paul, these things are real ministry. Pastors teach and preach to fuel this type of work among their members. It should be a family of servants. So how then should we respond to Paul's teachings? If you're a member of a local church, don't wait for the pastor or the ministry leader to ask you to do something. Don't wait to serve by looking for a church-sponsored program where you can exercise your gifts. The church is a family. Embrace your identity as a brother or sister in that family. If you see a need, fill it. Someone needs encouragement, encourage them. Open your home. Share what you have with others and invite unbelievers into your life. The Bible portrays the church not as a religious club brimming with ministry programs, but as a family brimming with servants. As a body with every part functioning together for the good of the entire body. So in closing, I ask you again, are you using your gifts for the body of Christ as intended? Or are you a parasite or a cancerous cell in the body of the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bestowing spiritual gifts on each and every one of us as believers. Thank you for providing a safe place for us to learn what those gifts are and experience those gifts and experience the gifts that others bring. But my prayer to today for, for us is that we find our gifts and that we use them to further your church. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for sending leaders in our lives to show us the way. Keep us safe as we go throughout our daily activities this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.